I do hope that you are uh, involving new disciplines in your life in this new year. And I've got the card I printed last week. There were a few more out there, but you'll also find that on the inside of your bulletin at the bottom right-hand corner for the remainder of the month of January. And then in February, we'll have the next one. And then March, and then I think you might get the picture. Um, it's important. One of our uh, core values as a church family is uh, being Bible-centered, being Bible-focused. And we need to put our, basically, as it might be said, where the rubber meets the road or your money where your mouth is or whatever uh, you know, colloquial phrase you want to, to place on that. Uh, this morning we will be looking at uh, a passage that I have entitled the message from being Open Hands. Um, I'll share a little bit more about why I got there. I shared a little bit about it in the bulletin this morning, which uh, you're welcome to read. Uh, but, you know, maybe wait about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to, to go after that. Um, but I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, but also stick your finger in chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew, as we're going to read a couple of passages today as we begin in the Sermon on the Mount and then look at a later uh, section of Jesus' teaching. Let's stand together as we look at God's Word. Um, Matthew chapter 3, and then Matthew chapter 16, verses 24. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And turn over to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will, for my sake, will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Lord, teach us your word. Teach us to live by your word. Teach us to apply it in our lives that you would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I told you last week I've been working through a book this year called uh, The Pursuit of God by a, a scholar, a preacher of the early 20th century named A.W. Tozer. And at chapter 2, he deals with Matthew 5, 3, and he calls this the blessedness of possessing nothing. That doesn't sound very American, does it? And, and as I think about uh, things of discipline, uh, one of the things I've learned in the last month is the blessedness of this position. Now, some of you are tired of me talking about this, and that's fine. But you remember for several weeks, I couldn't get up the stairs, right? I had this thing called a broken ankle and had to have surgery and uh, I preached down here, and a couple of you have told me, why don't you just stay down there? And I don't know, because I don't. Um, but, yeah, I, in the last month, I've been doing this physical therapy thing in, in, in recovery, and one of my favorite positions is actually my hands up on the door frame and stretching out. And then all of a sudden, I realized I could do that with both my ankles and started doing that. Doing that, you know. Um, and, and I do realize that especially with the fact that I'm pretty high-centered as far as my center of gravity, I can't walk like that very well, right? Can't do that. But again, when, when something important to you, like, you know, walking, 
is hampered, all of a sudden you realize that there are certain things that can help you along the way. And the second Sunday of, or Wednesday of November, when, when I was given the clearance to get back on the crutches, I got off the scooter. I've talked to you about some of you about that even this morning, right? I, I was done with that wheeled thing because I kept falling on it, and it was painful. And again, the gravity is not my friend. I like to be on the good side of gravity, not on the opposition of it. But um, even as I figured those things out, I figured out I kind of had to get my body straightened out after all that time on crutches and everything else. And within a few weeks, I was actually able to walk without the crutches. And I'm thankful that I really haven't had a crutch under my arm since Thanksgiving that week of Thanksgiving, and, and God brings healing on those things. But at the same time, I was talking with the surgeon at the next appointment, and he said, let's get you into some PT, some physical therapy. And the first thing that the therapist did was he gave me stretches. And I realized very quickly that that stretch I just showed you is one of my best friends now. Because if I'm just sitting there, or if I've been laying in bed all night, or, or whatever that is, as soon as my foot touches the ground, I know it. It's tight. I can feel it. And it's not something I've ever had to deal with before like I had to in the previous uh, 44 years of my life. But when I fell and broke my ankle, all of a sudden, all of those tendons and muscles either atrophied or they just tightened up. And it hurt. And that was what actually one of my greatest, uh, I guess, my greatest feeling of trepidation in walking again is because every time I put pressure on that foot, it hurt. But then as I stretched, all of a sudden, it limbered up. And all of a sudden, I can go up and down the stairs without having to hold on to something. And that's one of my goals and my, my therapy. And so those things really help. And there's several other things that I'm supposed to do every day that I'm pretty good about. But every once in a while, like last night, I'll go to bed and forget to have done my stretches. And guess what tells me about it in the morning? My foot. And... You go, okay, Greg, you keep talking about these kinds of things. Why does this matter? It matters because our spiritual life can reflect our physical life. When we start realizing that we're missing something or that there's something wrong, we might do something for a while that helps. We get into a habit of maybe reading our Bible the first week of the new year, like the preacher keeps telling us, he keeps pounding on his Bible and telling you, telling you, you need to read it over and over and over. Yes, you need to read it. You also need to apply it to your lives, which is what this pursuit of holiness is. It's that being created in the image of God, God then desires for us to look like Him more and more as we walk with Him longer and longer. But here's what happens along the way, is that we might come to a new knowledge. We might have this really cool thing that we like to do that helps us along the way. But guess what? We start feeling good about it, and we, we get stronger in our faith, and we, we start forgetting about what got us there. And we start then relying upon ourselves to do things that are inherently spiritual. And we think that we can make those things happen on our own. But the fact is, is that God has saved us. And the, 
the goal then of the Christian life, if we have come to Christ as our Savior, if we received Him, is then to prove, to work out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and with trembling. And so when we start uh, living out what God has put before us, we realize that being created in His image, we might be able to do a few of those things kind of like God wants us to. But then, it's like when you start walking across the church lawn, and you've got something else going on, and you're not watching where you're going, and you step on a little uneven sort of ground, and you twist your ankle, and 270 pounds of humanity falls upon your right leg. Three months later, you can walk again. You realize that there are things that will trip us up. And so when we look at Psalms, Psalm 119, we, we see that he's a, we're supposed to hide God's word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against him. And we're supposed to apply truths like we see in 1 John 5. When we see that the testimony is that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is actually a paraphrase. But I actually sort of did it from memory. I'm proud of myself here. All right, no, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, in there. Uh, we, we, we should encourage one another when we do those things. You should feel good about that. And it will help us grow in our faith. But how do we apply it to our lives? When we look at Matthew 5, we see this, this section that he starts out, the first vocal point, teaching point of Jesus' ministry that we have in the Gospels is the Sermon on the Mount. And the first 12 verses, we see something called the Beatitudes. And I've been through them several different times. I went through them last spring. It's not like it's something that we have neglected, but it's always something that we should return to. Because Jesus says, happy. This word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which basically is a, the, the literal translation is happy. Happy is the one who is poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessedness of realizing that we possess nothing. Over and over and over in our lives. One of the interesting things about living on this street is that we have a funeral home right there. And we have a funeral home about a half mile that way. And many times during a month, sometimes multiple times during a week, I'll hear, you know, the sirens announcing a brigade heading to the cemetery. They're there remembering a life that has passed on from this earth. We must realize that we came into this world with nothing, and we will leave with nothing material. It is faith that gives us our eternal reward. God pursues us, and that's how we come to faith in Him. We, we looked at that last week. But at that point, it's a lot of times where people stop. They realize, I'm saved, 
I got my fire insurance. Now I can do whatever I want to. But the most miserable people I know in life are not necessarily lost people. But there are people who have come to the point of truth, the point where they have received Christ as their Savior, and they think that's it. And so then they live their lives just like they did before. And all of a sudden it seems purposeless and aimless and apathetic. I've said this in conversations more than I've said it in the pulpit, but I think one of the greatest dangers in the church today is what we find when you look at the seven churches of Revelation. A lot of people see those as periods of history. I don't, I don't really view it that way. What I see is that humanity has a lot of issues, and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And the American church, at least the churches I've served in, and I've served in four over the last 25 years. And this includes our church, and I'm not saying this to be condemning or it's just a statement of reality. The, the American church, Southern Baptist church, the church that we are, the church that uh, we, how we identify ourselves, has two major issues. And, and in Revelation, we see, in the seven churches, we see Ephesus is the church that's lost its first love. And we see the church in Laodicea, the church that's apathetic, the church that just doesn't really care. And some of you just really got mad at the preacher. But let's examine it. Let's see what that means. It means that our priorities are misguided. That we end up worrying far more about our comfort than our, our purpose, our reason. If you don't think that's true, just come in here sometime if the boiler has quit. It's cold. Or go into a, a different church, perhaps, that has a different kind of seating. Or has a different kind of music. Or has a different kind of building that looks newer or looks older or has stained glass windows or has purple carpet instead of blue carpet or bright orange carpet. And yes, I have seen bright orange carpet in churches. No. You know what's amazing about bright orange carpet? Is it smells like it is too. No. It smells like bright orange carpet. That's not a smell we like. But we have our preferences, right? And if, if somebody moves our cheese... If somebody puts something that isn't that that changes something there, we realize all of a sudden that we don't like it that way. And what happens is what Tozer how Tozer describes it here in this quote. He says, and it should be on the screen, God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. We make God's gifts, God's blessings, more important than the giver of the blessing. Realizing that it all comes from Him. And when we set our hearts and our minds on Him, we come to this place in Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that we realize our depravity before God. 
that we are sinners and that in ourselves we can bring nothing to Him. And that in His salvation, what Christ has done for us is He paid the price for our sin and made us holy to, to put us in His place, this great exchange that I describe so often in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made Him who knew, who knew no sin to become sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We have this wonderful exchange to where He takes the penalty that we deserve for eternity. And again, coming back to 1 John chapter 5, the one who knows the Son of God has eternal life. That is our hope. But then He calls us to this place where we, we realize our own depravity, and that's where we find Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This paradox is difficult for our minds to wrap around. Because we see it as just the opposite. We think we need the stuff to make us happy. And we turn things like Christmas, and we turn things like our birthdays, and we turn things like the, 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 our possessions into times where we want to just get more stuff. But what all that stuff does is it falls into a bottomless pit that can only be where we can only be rescued by God. And how does he do it? He does it in a way that we don't really like in the flesh. He does it through death. He does it with the perfect spotless sacrifice of His Son. So that we would realize in ourselves our depravity, our poverty in spirit. And in this hardship, we find where our true treasure is and what our treasure is. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see this terminology that is called something else in the other Gospels. But in, in Matthew, he, he says the, 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 the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. In, in the other Gospels, we see more the, the kingdom of God. It's the same thing, interchangeably. God is in heaven. But he calls those who place their faith in him now to live out the kingdom of heaven in this world. And that, friends, is where we come to the place that our stuff doesn't really matter. I sit in my own house. And we have spots in our house that just collect things. And every couple of years we do something to, to the house. We either change bedrooms or like this past year we got new in the basement where we end up moving things around. And you know what happens when you end up moving a lot of things around? You realize you have a lot of stuff you don't really need. I probably took just in not everyday trash, although that is something that is there. During 2021, along the way, took dozens of bags of trash out. Trash! Paper shred, packaging, stuff I don't need anymore, broken stuff. Just got it out of there, made more space. 
guess what? Still got a garage full of it and a laundry room full of it, and I don't even want to know what's in those closets. Anybody else there? <laughs> we are all in this together, guys. We think that the newest, latest thing is going to make us happy. And in the 21st century, it's funny to talk to people because most of us are actually there, even if you think you're old. You've got some technological device that you just had to have that's in a drawer now. Right? You just had to have it about 20 years ago. And guess what? It didn't do you any good now. Until you find it and you realize that was kind of a novel little thing. And then you realize this isn't doing anything for me. How many of you do not have a landline in your home anymore? That's us. How many of you still have that phone, that, that landline phone? No, not, not, not the service. I'm talking about if you got rid of the landline, but you still have the phone. It's in that closet somewhere, right? <laughs> it's part of that stuff. Now, if you still use your landline, good. I'm, I'm not criticizing it. We got rid of ours when we realized that we got about 10 calls to, well, maybe 100 calls to one on this device instead of the landline. I'm going, that's about 45 bucks a month I don't have to spend. And it made a few of you mad when I got rid of a landline. And then you forgot about it. We think that we need the next best thing. But the fact is, is that everything in our lives now is passing on. And the real pursuit, the real problem that we have is that void in our lives that can only be filled by God. So when we recognize our blessedness and our poverty and our blessedness in, in having so little, the, the happiest people I know in the world many times are the ones who have the least material things because they have the fewest burdens. What happens when you buy a car? Yeah, you can go places fast, but then it breaks down. Or you get a flat tire or whatever. Somebody I was talking with in, in this room right now said when somebody in their family had to spend $2,500 on a worn-out car this week. Anybody ever been there? You will be. And you realize, should I get a new car? Yeah, but that new car costs forty thousand dollars and this was twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that's why I still have a nineteen ninety eight pickup. That's got all kinds of rust on it. Anyway, what we see is that the blessings of this world often become a burden because we make that the object of our worship. We end up serving our possessions instead of the one who gave us all things. So what is the blessedness? The poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit, when we realize that we don't have anything material that can fill it, we realize that we can welcome the one who does. To welcome Christ and His salvation in our lives. The other passage we read 
uh, this morning to start out Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 16. Let's go there shortly. This follows Peter's confession, and then he bites the dust immediately. I, Peter, I love Peter. But he says, if anyone would come after me, deny himself and take up his cross daily and or take up his cross and follow me. In other passages, it says daily. The parallel passages there are found in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. You know, if you find 26 or 36 in one of the Gospels, you might find some interesting things. But take up his cross and follow me. This is before Jesus' crucifixion. I think there's a sense of prophecy here about the manner in which he would die. But think about how confusing that might be to those who are listening to him at that moment. We take up his cross and follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Look at how he interprets it there. 34 to 36, I should have put the whole passage there. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Luke chapter 9. I think this was a pretty important teaching because it shows up in all three of these Gospels. Chapter 9, verse 26. Forever is ashamed of me and my words, of him with the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory, in the glory of the fun, uh, one and only. Should have backed up earlier. Verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's where it says the daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And for what does a man to profit, or profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, he speaks that to them because they would see his resurrection. And the culmination of the kingdom of God is Jesus. It's his resurrection, and ultimately it's the, the, the Holy Spirit coming in our lives and reigning in the church to guide and direct us that we might bless him in these days. For Jesus, life is never found in earthly possessions. It's always found in our holiness. To realize that a price must be paid for our issues, for our problems, for our sin. Ultimately, why does Jesus come? John 10, verse 10. Hitting all four Gospels this morning. Look at that. John 10, verse 10. Many of you know this. Some of you may not have ever heard it before. What's the difference between life in this world and life for eternity? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The kingdom paradox is that Jesus is our life. Our possessions, our desires, we are always going to be frustrated because it's never going to measure up to what we really want it to be. 
but I don't know anyone who has ever truly encountered the risen Savior and had that problem with Him. When you come before the throne, we realize His goodness transforms the very nature of who we are. And then He calls us then to recognize our poverty, to recognize that we in ourselves cannot do it. And when we realize that we are poor in spirit, that is when the kingdom of heaven takes over our lives. And the most generous people I know are the ones who realize that their possessions can't go with them. We really want our stuff. We really like our, you know, I, first of the year, I'm considering personal family budget stuff. I've increased my retirement contributions because, you know, 20 years from now someday, I want to retire and, and have enough to live on so I don't, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, those are earthly possessions, and there's nothing wrong with planning for those things. But we're still not taking any of those things with us. God calls us to live and give the way He has given to us. And the pursuit of holiness shows us that the things of this world will never satisfy. Whatever it may be, there's going to be the next best thing. And I like classic cars. I've got a dead one in my garage right now. It's not the one I drive every day. It doesn't run. Still have it. It doesn't run. You have things in your life. I have things in my life that we need to lay down because we need to feel, find real life in Jesus. The pursuit of holiness means we recognize our state of poverty. That without Him, we have nothing. He is our everything. Do you have that today? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. And we know that our, um, our earthly passions, our earthly, earthly disciplines, whether it's walking, whether it's eating, whatever, our, our personal possessions, they're nothing before you. And just like you taught me to be thankful for, for the faculties that I have in my own body, that that stretch I do helps me to do the simplest of things. Help us to be disciplined in your word, that it will be, as it says in your word, transforming for the renewing of our mind, that we give up the temporary things to receive the eternal things. May the disciplines of our lives now be for the benefit of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And worship him. The altar is open if you have a step of obedience you'd like to take and